It's good to be with you today. I'm Kurt Parker. If you have little ones through grade four, you'd like them to be, or we do have, we do have junior church today, right, Amy? Junior church today? Yes. So grade four, uh, on uh, holidays in the beginning of summer, things sometimes go down to a skeleton crew because when you're a lo- young church, everybody travels. When you're an older church, everybody comes. So uh, we're a young church and everybody goes, and so we're grateful for that. And I hope that you get some time this summer to spend with your family away and all those things that are such a blessing from the Lord. Turn in your copy of God's Word to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you would. It's good to be back in our study today, and a big weekend for some. How many have a relative or, or uh, immediate family member that graduated last weekend or this weekend? Somebody who received a degree. That is fantastic. It's special. Uh, especially for our family, too. We had uh, my third son, Will, uh, graduated from high school, and uh, so we were just thrilled to be able to part of that and have the blessing of the Lord on our lives and be able to enjoy all those things. Busy day for him. Uh, just uh, graduated, uh, compartmentalized the whole day. Graduated and went and ran in a regional track meet from 3 in the afternoon till 9 o'clock at night. And so he had a pretty busy day and did really well, and I'm just real proud of him. God's plan for a healthy church, Second Corinthians chapter 5. It's our continuing study. Turn there if you would, picking up in verse 9. But just quickly, if you're familiar with uh, Egypt of any, uh, to any extent, you know that the pyramids are some of the most famous structures in the world. Valley of the Kings, of course, across from the Nile, across the Nile from Luxor, another one of those world-renowned spots. Most probably know that um, both of these places hold burial chambers for the pharaohs and other individuals connected with the royal family. Official excavation of those tombs really began in the early 1800s. They've been being excavated all along since antiquity by thieves, uh, trying to get to all the stuff that was buried with all of those people. But um, preparation for death, which was really revealed during these official uh, excavations, uh, was shown to be very important right across Egyptian society, not just for pharaohs. For the Egyptians, the path to eternal life was full of danger, demons, false trials, and one had to be well prepared. So along with the extended and complex mummifying process to preserve the body for the future life, many things were added to the tombs of the dead in order to expedite that journey. From the living to the eternal state, the the Book of the Dead, typically included in most of the royal tombs, provided instructions and tips and all of that, the incantations for the soul on their journey to the underworld. Uh, That book was often inside the coffin, perhaps in the tomb itself or, or inscribed on the tomb. But the last ordeal on the path to eternity in Egyptian culture was the weighing of the deceased heart in the Hall of Ma'at or the Hall of Truth. The god Anubis weighed the heart against a feather. And so you see pictograph, uh, you see a hieroglyph of, of a heart on a scale with the feather on the other side. And that feather represented truth. And this would determine the fitness of, for joining the land of the gods. So applications who passed were welcomed by Osiris. The soul would leave the hall of judgment and it would pass uh, across the field of reeds. Uh, the lily lake into the field of reeds, and, and when what, at that point you would receive back everything taken by death uh, for the soul with the heart lighter than the feather. Uh, that soul uh, got to join with those who had gone on earlier. All your favorite objects were returned to you, even your long-lost pets, and many of those uh, pets were found mummified in the tombs along with the royal dead. Should the heart prove heavier, however, than the feather... It was thrown to the floor of the Hall of Truth where it was devoured by 
Amat. Now, this is a god who has the face of a crocodile, the front of a leopard, the back of a rhinoceros, known as the gobbler. Uh, once Amat devoured the person's heart, then that person would cease to exist. There was no hell in ancient Egypt. Their fate worse than death was non-existence, and the spirit banished to darkness. Now, it's interesting as you think about that, that this form of polytheism really included the weighing of the heart, even though uh, the Egyptians had turned from the knowledge of the true God and to the knowledge of the worship of false gods and the worship of the created thing rather than the creator. They still retained in their understanding that uh, what was hidden from the eyes of men was not hidden from their false god and that he knew what had gone on all along. And so he was able to bring those things to bear uh, at the close of, of this individual's life. Now, as we go to the gospel of Jesus, the true faith, he has assured uh, believers that death and the transformation that will occur after death is, is uh, not fraught with the questions uh, that false religions have. We know that the path for eternal life is not filled with danger, but that danger was already brought upon Christ himself and that he took the punishment for sin and he made that way open for believers. We saw 2 Corinthians 5, 8, to be absent from the body is to be what? present with the Lord. And so very clear teaching. We understand what it takes. There's not some uh, subjective types of judgment that are going to go on for the weighing of the soul, determining whether or not heaven is achieved. And as we began to see last week, as we began our look in verses 9 and 10, uh, while there's still judgment, because the eyes of the Lord are certainly open to everything that we do, uh, that judgment is, um, and why we do it, that judgment is not based on the degree of sin and evil found in the heart of the believer because that has already been taken care of. But instead, it's what has been done since salvation so that everything that was not eternal can be stripped away and rewards can be given for what remains. So if you're new with us today, that's where we are in our study, and, and that's what we are looking at. So we are turning again to a continued study in this fifth chapter of Second Corinthians, which has to do with confidence, and we've seen that as we've gone through the first eight verses. We've looked at the remarkable confidence a believer can have as they come to the end of their physical life uh, from verses one through eight, and so we know what's going to happen then. And, and now in particular, verses 9 through 10, which reveal to us the confidence that the believer can have in final judgment. And so I'd like you to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, if you would, and we'll read that together. Verse 9 says, Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. Verse 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what has been done, he has done, whether good or bad. And as we saw, uh, these words, home or absent here, is just referring to the future resurrection of our bodies. If, in other words, if we die before the rapture or uh, instantaneous resurrection of our bodies at the trumpet, it really doesn't matter because it's a future that's going to be realized. So, uh, we are referred to as at home in the body in verse 6 uh, if we're absent from the Lord and we're referred to as at home with the Lord when we're absent from the body. So don't, don't think absent and home necessarily in this section have to do necessarily with one or the other exclusively, but just that if we're absent from the body, we're at home with the Lord, or if we're absent from the Lord, we're at home in the body. Okay, now we know the body's temporary. We looked at all that stuff, so we're not uh, contradicting anything we looked before. But here's the deal. So so it's true then that that's a sure reality of every redeemed person. 
And because that's true, and Paul is explaining to us, we will see the Lord, whether sooner or later, then the next two verses make a lot of sense. If you're going to see the Lord, and that is if we will for sure see the Lord, in other words, if you're redeemed, you will see the Lord, whether sooner or later. Verse 9 says, therefore, so that's what it's based on, because we have this assurance, because this is the case, because you will see the Lord, whether sooner or later, as a believer, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, what? To be pleasing to him. Okay? So, um, these confidences then are connected. And Paul wants to, uh, wants to have confidence in the future, particularly in the judgment of Christ. He wanted the believers to have confidence in death, so he made it clear what would happen. Now he says, listen, there's a future judgment that's coming, and I want you to have confidence about it. It was one of the greatest motivating factors in Paul's life. I mean, he talked about it often, and we're going to see the rewards he talked about next week. But Paul, Paul had this in his mind constantly. It was the motivation for what he did. And so he, he talks about it directly in two different times in the letters we have preserved for him here in First and Second Corinthians. So the idea then, then is if you're fleshly, you won't be pleasing to God, so you won't be confident in the final judgment. And we've all bumped into people like that, and perhaps you've cycled through a time in your life where you were unsure just exactly how that whole judgment would go. And so he reminds them then that they can be confident in the judgment of Christ if they make sure they take some time to evaluate their conduct, and that's the whole point. So 2 Corinthians 5, 9 says, Therefore we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. So whether we're waiting for the rapture or we go home before that, we have as our ambition, that's the Greek compound verb, philotumometha, that's two words. First word is philos, to be familiar with. And the second is tima, to do, uh, has to do with the cost of anything. So we have as our ambition, we think ambition is something you're striving for, but here scripture says we have as our ambition, we're familiar with and understand the cost of, if you will, or the value of being pleasing to God. Okay? Paul says because we're going to see him, we embrace and, and chase after the goal of what? Being pleasing to God. Why? Second Corinthians 5.10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So the Lord has been evaluating all of that. The Lord has seen all of those things that go on. They, he, he weighs out what goes on in the heart. We're going to see that in just a minute, how clear that is. Uh, Paul is saying here, there's going to come a time when the works of all believers will be subject to a test to determine whether they are worthy of reward. So this judgment has to do with reward. Why doesn't it have to do with sin? Well, your sin was dealt with on the cross. And, and this is the most confusing part about this for, for most believers. They'll come and say, well, is this judgment going to have to do with sin after after I was saved. Well, no, because we saw in Colossians, remember that Christ had taken everything that was against us and nailed to the cross. And all of your sin was future at that time, wasn't it? And so there's no now new future for God and you surprised him with what you were doing. He already canceled your debt. When you came to Christ and confessed your sin and repented, he canceled all of your debt. And now you stand righteous before the Lord because of Christ's blood. Okay, so we're not speaking about sin. We're talking about what you do after you've been redeemed. And we'll clarify all that here in just a minute. Now, we saw a number of other passages that um, clearly illustrated all this stuff for us, and we won't go all over all of them. But in First Corinthians chapter um, nine, verse twenty-four is a really great one, and, and I think it's helpful for us as we're kind of forming our thoughts here. Paul says, "Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? So run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games." exercises self-control in all things. They then 
do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Verse 26, therefore I run in such a way as not without aim, I box in such a way as not beating you there. Now, what do we see here as a really common denominator in this entire passage? It has to do with effort, right? It, it has to do with effort. It has to do with focus. It has to do with competition and running or boxing or, or whatever it is to win. Okay, and we went over a big illustration about that as it relates to track last time. We'll go back over that again. But this is our confident judgment principle that I want you to see. So we have several that we've looked at. The first one was we want to labor in such a way that will please the Lord. Just obvious. Confident principle number one. We want to labor in such a way that's pleasing to the Lord. Number two, uh, Christ's judgment is coming. He's going to evaluate our work and recompense us for that work. And then number three, we just saw, if you're a believer, do your ministry with all your effort, okay? So just very basic, you can just pull these out very easily, those are handholds for the passage, and just confident principles, Paul wants you to be confident, what are the principles you can hang on to, uh, these, this is our starting point. Now, we're going to see those principles repeated over and over again, just worded a little differently, you're going to recognize them then as we go through, and so we won't keep repeating those, but you need to hang on to those, so they must be important, if Paul keeps saying them over and over again, if every time he gets a chance, he talks about how you run, or how you box, or how whatever it is, how you compete, and you're to do that to win, and your effort is to be such that you're trying to win. Uh, so we see that same warning given over earlier in Paul's writings to the church. So look, if you would, and you can see it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. First Corinthians 3, 10 says, According to the grace of God which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and, other, and another is building on it, but each man must be careful how he builds on it. Now, we looked at this last time. It's where we ended up. Now, obviously, Paul is, is starting with leaders, and that follows, and he, his specific instruction here is to those who lead the church, but it's going to include every believer, and it just widens out, and we see that it includes every believer because every believer has a ministry, and, and it's a warning to be careful how you do the ministry and how, how you're involved and what goes on on a day-to-day basis. So he says this, but each man must be careful how he builds on it. So he just begins to include everybody, not just leaders. Um, and, and being careful how he builds, both of those verbs for build are present active indicative. So in other words, the building's still going on. All right, this, is, this is the reality of the believer's life. Be careful how, be careful how you build on it. Okay, I was, I was like, I was a wise master builder. I laid a foundation. Another is building. There's present active indicative. And each man must be careful how he builds on it. Again, present active indicative. Both things actively going on in the life of the believer. So the building is still happening. We are building on what has already been done. And the word for building is in the present tense. Continually building on what's been done. The foundation is laid. We're building on that foundation. Now, we saw last time that Paul was able to use himself as an illustration. He said, I don't go where a foundation's already been laid. I go where no one else has been. And I lay the foundation of Christ. And so his own life became the illustration of what's going on in lives of individual believers. I laid the foundation and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds. And so that becomes then... What uh, the illustration Paul uses, that there's this foundation laid of Christ, and you're building on that foundation. And then we saw that confident judgment principle number four, very important, is this. Every one of us has a ministry based upon the foundation that's been laid, and so we're to be careful how we build. So we saw that, that, uh, that judgment principle last time. And the doctrine here is that all believers are building a spiritual building. And they are building that building out of certain materials. And there is coming, and we're just kind of summarizing what we're going to see today, there's coming really a fiery test, and that fire will be applied to their building, and only what's left will be rewarded. It doesn't have anything to do with punishment or judgment for sin. It only has to do with what remains of what you've done since salvation. And that's what verse 15 confirms. If any man's work is burned up, 
He'll suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, get as through fire. So when you get to the judgment seat, there's going to be a lot of people surprised at what's left after the test. So some people are going to think that they really made this great contribution, and they're not going to have anything left. And, and as verse 15 indicates, he'll suffer loss. And the idea here being, uh, as a house fire sometimes consumes everything that someone has, and all they escape with are the clothes on their back, that's the idea. That you still have your robe of righteousness, but everything you did after the foundation of Christ that you laid up perhaps was just those types of ingredients that would be consumed by fire. And some saints are going to have the greatest reward of all, and after the tests are all finished, some, most, or maybe everything will still remain, and there's reward from the Lord as a result of that test. Now, in 1 Corinthians 3.10, or 3.11, rather, it says, For no man can lay a foundation other than the one that was laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on that foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, verse 13, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it's to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. So that just kind of undergirds everything we just got through saying. Paul laid in Corinth the foundation of Christianity. And what is that? It's, it's confusing in today's day what Christianity really is, right? Is it our ethics? Is it our morality? Is it the fact that we're kind to people and known for that? That's why we get so many calls at the church, you know, can you help me? Well, do you go to church? No. Well, why'd you call the church? Well, you know, Christians usually are kind. Well, that's good. That's nice that we're known that way. But is that the foundation of, uh, of, uh, of the faith? No. Uh, is it because we're gentle? We should be because we're loving. We take care of the poor. What's the foundation of Christianity? Is it tradition? Is it the historical church? No, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ, which has led to salvation. That's the foundation in this context. So apostolic doctrine was all about Jesus, right? So the Gospels were all about Jesus. The whole New Testament is Christ. His life on earth is in the Gospels. You know, Christ's active in establishing the church. That's the book of Acts. The believer's life in the church explained and directed. That's the epistles. The book of Revelation is written to assure us that Jesus is yet alive and is going to reign. It's reigning now and will return. See, so the revealed Christ is the foundation on which all the building will occur. And we, we, we can't have a spiritual house built on the traditions of men. See? We can't have a spiritual house built on morality or doing good or to the less fortunate or, or you know, generousness or self-righteousness. The only foundation, then, for corporate life in the church is Jesus. And, and once the foundation is laid, and that assumes saving faith in this context, once that foundation is laid, on top of that foundation, the materials for building are placed. And how we're going to build on the foundation of Christ. So picture in your mind now this foundation out there on this lot and that's the time span there of your physical life. So there's a foundation, Jesus Christ, since you came to faith, there's the foundation that's laid. The time span is your life, there's a lot. Okay? You got all the things stubbed up, and you know, my dad was a builder, and I spent much of my time as a young man working on houses in all, four, all states of building. From the pouring of the pad, preparing it, all the way up to uh, putting the roof on and putting the fixtures in and cabinets and all that kind of stuff. So, but here you just got a pad. It's just shining out there in the sun, brand spanking new if you're a believer, and now you're going to start building. Okay? And, and all there is, is the foundation, and you're going to build during your life on this. And there's only one foundation, but there are many materials that you could build with. And if you're born again, you, then you have been building, and you're going to continue to build. Well, how do I know what materials I'm using, you know? Well, there's some clues in Scripture, and we're going to look at those, okay? Now, we're going to pick up 1 Corinthians 3.12. If any man builds, he says... On the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. So according to verse 12, you can build with precious stones. 
costly stone, probably refers to granite or marble. So if you're going to build a lasting building, you know, granite and marble on this foundation, you know, slate on top, tile would be good, you know, a great granite marble thing overlaid with gold, you know, and silver, that's a good building, that's a lasting structure. That sticks around a while. But some Christians are using hay and straw, and straw is used to mix with with mud to make bricks, so the cornerstones and the framework are wood, and they're faced with mud brick. And and uh, and hay is used to thatch the roof, so instead of using slate and tile, you're thatching with hay and building that building. Obviously, the questions uh, that were prompted from last time, you know, what constitutes then gold, silver, granite, marble? What constitutes wood, hay, and, and straw? And how are these different kinds of materials incorporated into the building? And so Paul says in verse 12, he says, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, so there's many different materials he could use, and really insight from the Lord, uh, just as kind of a footnote, that, that all churches will not be the same, okay? As we, as we look at this, I want you to realize that it, really the church takes on the identity uh, of what's going on with the individual, because we are a corporate body of Christ, okay? So we, all, we, we know that all believers uh, will not end up the same. I mean, they're all going to be with Jesus, if they're believers in the eternal state, but they won't all be in the same position. Some will have endured hardship well and will glorify God in a better way than others. And some uh, will have laid up treasure in heaven by their giving. And, and so they have those things to use to glorify God in a better way than those who didn't. Okay, so this is the reality. You know, when, when we pass the plate and you go online and you can give, understand that that's the reality. You're laying up treasure in heaven and that's going to stay. And everybody's going to know what happened at the end. Okay, you can say whatever you want to say, but that's how that works. Okay, and so, uh, you know, some will suffer well. They'll go through difficult times and be able to glorify God in a better way than those who didn't suffer well. So we, we've looked at all these passages. These are not, this is not new to you. But how believers in general build, that will become the nature of the church and all believers will be in the eternal state, but some of their buildings will have eternal value and, and they'll make an eternal contribution. So the material that the believers use, in a sense, really becomes the identity of the church. Of course, that's really hard to evaluate, which is why God preserves the right to do that and warns us to make sure that we don't judge too prematurely. We'll look at that in just a second. But So what kind of church will Berean be? Well, we'll get to find out in the future when God reveals that to us. But mark this, beloved. We all have a say in the building material. You have a say, I have the same say. We both have the same say in what materials we're going to use, okay? So, so be a gold, silver, precious stones and not a wood, hay, straw kind of saint. And then the church then will begin to look like the former and not the latter. Now, uh, let's look at a variety of building materials in, in this building that you're going to be building, as we understand from Scripture, and you have been building it all the way up till now. And I hope this is not the first time you've heard this. I'm concerned about what went up before, but, you know, as I always say, just make sure what goes up from now on looks p- terrific and lasts through the fire, okay? So, it's logical for Paul to come here, verse 9, and uh, if you're going to be transformed, you're going to be in, in this place of evaluation, you're God's building, you're the temple of God, Scripture says, so what you're building really is God's ultimately, it's, it's ultimately for God's glory, and so are you, and so that's just obvious, right? It's easy enough connection to make. Now, capture the scenario in your mind. You're in charge of the construction. So we talked about the lot, on the, the, the foundation on the lot. It falls to you to build it, not, not me. I'm not building on your lot. You're building on your lot. I'm building on mine. Um, and imagine now that you have unlimited resources. And you don't have to imagine that possibility because that's the, your reality. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 tells us this. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. 
So how do you capture that? Well, that's our fifth confidence and final judgment principle. Because of the indwelling spirit, you can go well beyond what you can think about or even think to ask about. In other words, God's resources are your resources. Okay? So you're building, you can be building with God's resources. They're available to everyone. Okay? Verse 12, you can build with precious stones. That's lithos. That's the noun for stone, possibly refers to granite, likely uh, granite marble. Uh, Timios, that's the world for costly, expensive. It usually re- refers to a gemstone. That's not the case here. It's just re- referring to materials that cost a lot. So according to Paul, you can go out and build with lasting materials. And if you were going to build a lasting uh, building, granite, marble, slate, tile, those are good materials, right? A great solid granite overlaid thing. That'd be a good building, beautiful building, lasting structure. Those are the resources that you have, see? But some Christians, they build out of wood, wood frames around the door, windows instead of marble and granite, and that's what it says. And then some Christians use hay and straw. And the point here is that both builders, catch this, had the same resources, and they had the same Holy Spirit prompter, and they had the same power. And, and this Christian will say, here you here go, God, how do you like it, wood, hay, and straw? And other Christians over here, same resources, same spirit, same power, uh, that house is of granite, gold, silver, marble, tile, slate. Now, as we hold with our understanding that there's no judgment for sin here at the judgment seat of Christ. So Jesus is going to look at these two dwellings, these two spiritual houses, and the wood hay straw house isn't evil. It's just worthless, you see? Because it won't withstand the test. It doesn't have any eternal value. It's just a zero sum. All that labor is a zero sum. It just all gets consumed. The builder is a believer. The foundation is the same. But it isn't really fitting to put a mud hut on the foundation of Christ, is it? That's the whole point of it. When you could have built with gold, silver, granite, slate, and tile. Now, what actions and attitudes constitute uh, these materials? And how are these different kinds of materials incorporated into the building? And, and we're going to look at some of these passages in a moment. That's going to clarify that. But, but in general, gold would be the very finest service a Christian could offer. What do I mean? Well, the most godlike, the most Christ-like, the most pure motivated thing possible. The most self-sacrificing, the most dedicated, as with silver and granite and marble, these are the most lasting, eternally lasting things that you can do. They are the things that require the most total commitment with, with a pure motive. The things that cost you the most personally, but you didn't do them so somebody would notice that. Okay, that's important to, to point out. We'll see that in just a moment. But it was costly to you and you endured it for God's glory. Not so someone could say, wow, you're really spiritual. Okay, they may say that, but you didn't do that for that reason. Okay, you did it for God's glory with the right heart, with an unselfish motive, a self-denying, altruistic effort. And you may have something like that in your building material. You may have this whole mud brick hut with hut with this one little section of gold on it, right? Because that was the one time you really did a job like that. Or there may be a whole section like that, a whole wing added on and continue to add on that's made out of those lasting materials. Now, wood, hay, and straw are not evil. Wood, wood makes nice things. Uh, hay isn't evil. You can use it to thatch a roof. Birds' nests are made out of hay, right? Straw isn't evil. You can reinforce mud, make bricks, block the, you know, they have purposes. They're just not lasting, you see. And on the other hand, you have this beautiful building, but it has built on one side, you know, made out of wood and straw and, and, uh, and all of that kind of stuff because we're going to see that, you know, you've been building since you came to faith. And, beloved, you continue to build. And, and, and you know, but you had this beautiful structure, and then you built onto this thing out of flesh because you were functioning in the flesh. And so you had this thing on the side that doesn't look that great, right? You've driven through neighborhoods where you have these beautiful houses, and all of a sudden there's this thing on the side of the house. You're like, 
Uh, probably should have gone to an architect, right? Uh, you know, <laughs> that would have been better. It would have looked better. You know, or maybe your neighbor's doing that, right? He's building a homemade shed next to his house between your house and his house. And you're like, super. And if you live in Florida, you know, <laughs> he's building some ramshackle thing. And you're thinking, yeah, the next hurricane, that thing's going to be laying on top of my house, right? That kind of stuff, right? So that's not what you want, but that might be what has happened. Because you were looking for recognition or you, you did it because you felt like you had to. They have purposes, see, but they're not lasting. Now, beloved, remember, you were always building. You've been building since you came to faith. As we're going to see, busyness isn't necessarily the issue. Um, There are people who go through their lives, and they are busy, busy, busy. Martha, Martha, right? She was really busy about the stuff, but not the right stuff. And they're building with wood, hay, and straw. And other people can be busy, and they're laying up this amazing building built with things to last. Now, as we said, only the Lord can correctly evaluate this house. He's the only one who can truly know the difference between mud and marble. We know that the Lord has given to Jesus all right to judge, so it ultimately is Christ himself who will take a look at what's been built. But here's the deal, okay? He's the only one that can know the difference between a gold something and a mud something. But that doesn't mean that the building materials or the reward is subjective, so make sure you, you clarify that. Just because the Lord's the one who judges doesn't mean he's judging on a sliding scale, you know? Okay? Um, it doesn't appear to be like the new SATs, right, with a baseline that takes into account your socioeconomic status, okay? Well, your SAT was kind of bad, but, you know, your socioeconomic status was bad, so we'll just give you a better grade. It's not that, okay? You choose the materials. You have God's treasure house to build from. Every single believer has it. And the outcome can be greater than you can ask or think. We saw that in Ephesians, right? So as we reference some of these verses, we're talking about these same things. You can get a pretty good idea of what to expect, at least up until this point in your life. Four areas of evaluation, and hopefully they will help you, and we'll look at those. Here's the first one, labor. Labor. That's the first area of evaluation where the Christian life is producing building material. That's from 1 Corinthians 3.8. He who plants, he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own what? Labor. What's that mean? Well, we saw that this labor, this is the labor of the planting of seeds of the gospel and the watering of the plants in discipleship. That's what that means. You plant the seed of the gospel, then you continue to water it with discipleship and and people grow. And and the Great Commission, preach the gospel, teach them to obey everything and baptizing them. You, You know these verses. Now, the context in this verse is really ministers, but it spreads out and covers all who are believers because everyone has a ministry. The business is one, but some may mind the store better than others do. The end desire is one, but some may pursue it more closely than others do. Those that work hardest at these things lay up gold, silver, and costly stone. In other words, those that are engaged in, in his business are working together with God in promoting the purposes of his glory. That's what it means to sow the gospel. You're promoting the glory of God. Why? Because he's the God who saves, and he's the only one who can. And everyone is in need of salvation. So when you promote that, you promote God's glory, that he is gracious to save. And his forbearance is salvation, and he's given Christ as a substitute. And so you're magnifying the Lord when you give out the business of the planting of the seeds and the watering of those seeds. So our sixth confidence and final judgment principle, if you're writing those down in your bulletin, If you want to be confident in judgment, be about the work of what? Of the Great Commission. I won't have you put your hand up, but how many have actually witnessed about Jesus? Now, I'm not talking about, well, God is really good to me. You know, he's blessed me this year. That's not a witness, okay? 
That's the blessing you receive because you have a relationship with Christ. What I'm talking about is how many have actually given the gospel that saves to someone in the last month or the last six months or the last year? Or could you add up all of them on both hands the entirety of your life? Beloved, can I tell you, you've neglected one of the main purposes of your existence here. And one that the Lord watches very closely. Labor in the field of planting seeds and watering them is a primary objective for you. And is one of the ways that you can build with gold, silver, and precious stones. Because, beloved, understand this. People can really be busy about a lot of things, okay? But around their home or around their job are people who have never been witnessed to. And so they're busy, but they may not be laying up gold, silver, and precious stones. They may be laying up wood, hay, and straw because they're busy, but not about the right thing. See, because that labor of witnessing and discipling is one God is measuring. And with it, you choose the building materials. See, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30 is a great example of that. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. Why is that? What kind of life are we talking about? Prosperous life? No. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. Why? Because the fruit of the righteous is one of the main things the fruit of the righteous is, is it's a witness for the gospel of Christ. Okay. It's a witness to the goodness of God and his power to save. See, and he who is wise, what? He who is wise says, man, God's been good to me. No. He who is wise does what? Wins souls. Beloved, he who is wise wins souls. You want to be wise? Make sure you sow the seed of the gospel. You're not responsible for the response. You're responsible for giving the seed out and watering it. Okay? He who is wise wins souls. If the righteous will be rewarded on earth, how much more the wicked and the sinner? The Lord has, he says he's coming in Revelation, and my reward is with me to give it to every man according to his deeds. He's paying attention. See? Daniel chapter 3, verse 12, verse 3 is one of my favorites. When we studied Daniel, I love this passage. We spent a lot of time on it. Those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expansive heaven. And those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Do you think the Lord's concerned about that? I would say that he is. Do you think it's his primary concern? I think you could say it's his primary concern. This is the business that God wants us to be busy about, okay? This is, and this builds a house that's going to last, see? And so this has to be grabbing your attention. Second area is motive. Still relates to action, how you spend your time, but it includes what you think about. First Corinthians chapter four, verse five illustrates this well. Therefore, he says, do not go on passing judgment before the time. In other words, just, you know, as you're looking around, you're evaluating yourselves with yourselves. Just be careful with that. Okay. Uh, you may not know if every man's every ministry is everything it's supposed to be. You may not know if he's doing exactly or she's doing exactly what the Lord wants her or he to do. Now, there is some indicating, uh, there's some indicating fruit, I think. But in general, it's pretty hard to tell if, if the person is doing what they're doing for the right reason. So hold off, he says, but wait until the Lord comes who will, bring, who will both bring to light the things hidden. That's our first part, in the darkness and disclose the motives. That's the second part of men's hearts. And then each man will, will man's praise will come to him from God. So the Lord's able to determine all this, okay? He's the one who can flesh it all out fairly easily. We can't. But here's where we saw that God is going to bring true evaluation to your motives and everything you want to keep secret. That's the two things he's going to talk about. Has, has to do with how, what you're building with. He keeps track of those two things that are important to motive. So things hidden, that's the Greek adjective kryptos, that has to do with something you want to keep sealed. That's a seal. 
you'd like to keep stuff sealed, right? Something you don't want other people to know. And that could be a good thing. That could be anonymous gifts given. That could be diligent prayer for someone else. You may not want to go up and tell them, I've been praying diligent for you. It may be an encouragement to them. And that may be your motive. And the Lord knows that. Or it may be that you want people to think you're spiritual. And the Lord knows that. Okay. But it could be these things sealed, respectful, thoughtful, prayerful, considerate, selflessness. And you don't want people to really know that. And so that can be a good thing. It could be bad too. Uh, The Lord's going to bring to light both of them, good or bad. But here's the bad part. Disrespectful, selfish, jealous, unkind self-talk. You ever have a self-conversation about someone else? And you get done with it and you're like, oh my word, Lord, I am, that's so stupid. What am I doing? Right, but it's really easy to get into a self-conversation because nobody else gets to say that stupid, stop talking. It's just you talking to yourself, right? So it can be bad. The Lord's going to bring to light both the good and the bad. All of it's used, though, to build your house. It's all going to be known and tried with fire. When you do something supremely for the glory of God, that's gold. That's a motive. See, God knows what you think secretly about this certain thing. He knows what you say to yourself about it as you do it. You may do a deed that looks really good, but if your motive was stubble or your thoughts were hay, then that's what you're building with, see? Then that won't last. So he says, therefore, don't go on passing judgment before the time. Wait until the Lord comes, who will bring both to light the things hidden in the darkness. So we know good and bad. And then he'll disclose the motives of men's hearts. And that's the thing we're going to look at now. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. So that second word is motives. That's the word boule. That's a Greek noun for counsels. Um, in plural form, the heart is used to indicate uh, the seat of the emotion. So in other words, why are you doing something? So this doesn't do with, it's close, but it's not exactly the same as what we saw before. This is why you're doing something. This is the counsel that you gave to yourself to motivate you to do what you did. Okay. So the questions you asked then are not what you're saying, but why are you doing this? That's the issue. Is it because it's what others expect? Well, that would be wood, hay, and stubble. Then how did you decide to do it? Why did you decide to do it? Okay, and that's our seventh confidence and final judgment principle. Um, If you want to be confident in judgment, continually bring your attitude into biblical alignment, see, and take captive those thoughts that betray fleshliness. If you want to build with gold hay, if you want to build with gold, um, costly stone and silver and all of that, then just take that captive. Okay, those thoughts that are not honoring to the Lord, take that captive and then Bring your attitude into biblical alignment. Do it for the reasons that uh, you need to do it, okay? That the Lord would say would be good. Second Corinthians 9, 7 is a good example of that. Um, each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So what's that have to do with? We're going to see that not too long. It has to do with New Testament giving. How we're supposed to go about giving? Well, you do it, you purpose in your heart. I mean, you decided in your own heart that you'd like to do some certain thing, not because somebody expects it, but because this is what you want to do. This, you know what the needs are. You're going to be generous. You're going to be sacrificial. You're going to be faithful and you're going to do that. You're going to purpose it in your heart, not grudgingly. So, you know, as you let go of the check, you're kind of holding a little pressure on it, right? Oh man, I could have used that. I mean, that's a good motivation. If it's sacrificial, then you're doing what you should do, but you're not holding on to it, not grudgingly or under compulsion because somebody expects you to do it. See? But God loves a cheerful giver. So again, 
What are the secret counsels of your heart there? How are you counseling yourself? What are the thoughts you're thinking about what you're doing? Because those are all the things that evaluate what you're building with. Next one deals with elders. It's one of my favorite passages for me when I feel discouraged or I don't, I'm not sure what I need to do or, or whatever. I go back and read this passage. First Peter chapter 5, I'll pick up in verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God among you. Exercise oversight. Not under compulsion, but voluntarily. So in other words, not because I have to, but because I want to. All right? Exercise oversight because I want to do that. According to the will of God, that's exactly what the Lord has put those who guide the church there for. Okay? And not for sordid gain, so not because that, that pays, the, pays the bills. Okay? But with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving as examples to the flock. In other words, not just telling people what to do, but also doing. Okay? You're, over, you're, you're exercising oversight. It's not canceling out the first one, but you're also plugged in and you're serving alongside them. Not just everybody does everything. I don't do anything. Okay? So the last part of both verses, that's gold cost and costly stone. See, that's motive. That has to do with your secret counsel. God knows what you secretly think about. He knows what you say to yourself about it. You may do this deed that looks gold, but your motive was stubble, and your secret thoughts about it were hay, then that's what you're building with, and that's not going to last, see? Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 through 4. Great illustration. Applies to everybody. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who's in heaven. So what happens? If you're trying to look righteous in front of somebody, you'll succeed. They'll think you're righteous. But guess what? You get no reward for that. Okay? So in other words, what would you build with? Wood, hay, and straw. Because there's no reward for that, right? That gets burned up. Verse 2. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in Hollywood and in the professional sports arena and in the streets so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. So they gave a big reward and everybody saw it. And guess what? They thought they were super generous. That was your reward. Bing. You could have had one in heaven forever, but you settled for one that was temporary. That's just going to get built up, uh, burned up. Verse three. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing so that your giving will be in secret. Now, it doesn't, that doesn't uh, contradict you know, out of compulsion, or, but does that, you know, making a desire in your heart to do some certain thing. It just means just do it. Without making a big deal about it, okay? If you decide what you're going to do, just deliver it, okay? Just make the gift, do it as, as expeditiously as, as you can, okay? Verse 4, so that your giving will be in secret, and your father who sees what's done in secret, he's always watching, right? Well, what will happen? He'll reward you. So he knows what's going on, he knows why you did it, and he keeps track of all of that. So there's a lot more to be said about motives in, in uh, Matthew 6, but... But here it includes acts of righteousness, of giving. It all comes down to motive. Are you doing it so that men will notice you or supremely for the glory of God? Because, you know, Second Corinthians ten eighteen. here's the thing. It's not who he commends himself that's approved, but he whom the Lord commends. Self-evaluation can be deceptive. And you really got to ask the Lord if he can just expose the, 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 the heart and what's going on in the heart. I ask the Lord a lot that a lot. Lord, I, really, I don't want to have these camouflage sins. It's really easy to camouflage them in your own self and just self-justify why you feel like you feel. See, the longer you're in the ministry, and just, just transparent to you, the longer you're in the ministry, the easier it is to just go through the motions and mask why you're doing what you're doing. You think you're doing it altruistically, but you're really doing it because, and I've said jokingly to you, I prepare my message because everybody's going to show up on Sunday morning and they're going to expect me to say something, right? So that's the motivation to get through it. But if that's the only motivation, then I'm just laying up wood, hay and straw, see.
So self-evaluation can be deceptive. You've got to ask the Lord to make it clear why you're doing what you're doing, and it's going to matter. See, now obviously, struck you know, Scripture indicates that true evaluation also includes conduct. And again, these are these are connected to each other, and I, I know you can see this. But this is another way that the Lord translates how we live our life into building material. Back to our passage in Second Corinthians five ten. Here it is: For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he's done, whether good or bad. So here's the deal: the things we've done physically, okay, uh, the way we live our life, the day to day conduct of our lives, has to do with you understanding what God's law is and how you're, how you're, you know, I tell you that you should be in the word each day. Why? Because that's what the Lord designed you to do, but it also holds up the Holy standard, doesn't it? And you begin to know um, exactly what you should be doing. You know, I heard a graduation uh, charge yesterday, God's way is the best way. Well, I agree with that. What I found though, is not that people would disagree with God's way is the best way, but they don't even understand what God's way is. There's no foundation for them to say, this is God's way. I've had people tell me that they are living with their boyfriend or girlfriend because, you know, God, God wants us to love each other and we can't really afford to live apart. And, and so we just need to be this way until we get married. Well, guess what? That's, that's not God's way, whether you think it is or not. And God wants me to divorce my spouse, even though they've not committed immorality, but he wants me to be happy. Well, I'm sorry. God wants you to be holy. And he wants you to obey his commands. So, and, and this is just barely scratching the surface. And I don't want to go down this trail because it just becomes this list of rules and you've got to, you got to be pulling them out. I, I, I expect you, as you expect me, to be in the word each day and hold the Holy Standard up. And you should know what God's way is. He's, it's not in secret. He's pretty clear about it, see? So the things you do physically, these are things that are important. And here's the deal. The, it uses the words good or bad. And the word in context, they're adjectives describing the work of a believer. But they give the impression of moral good and moral evil. But really in context, they're adjectives describing the work of the believer. And Paul uses the word agathos, things that are excellent, and tholos, things that are worthless of no account. Now he could have used poneros, that's the Greek adjective for, for moral evil, but he doesn't use that word. So he uses words that help us understand that you're going to be judged on what is good, and what is worthless, okay? And that goes along with how we understand all of the final, this judgment seat of Christ for the believer. And then he says, you may be recompensed. That's one verb in the Greek, komositai. That's the verb is aorist, middle subjunctive. Now, you've been with us long enough to know the subjunctive mood is, indicates the degree of what? Some contingency, all right? Whereas present active indicative is that's the reality. This is some contingency here about what will happen. What do we mean by that? Well, the middle voice indicates the subject is performing the action. So for which there will be a point, that's the aorist tense, there's a point of receiving something back. See, obviously the contingency is whether or not there will be a reward. That's the contingency. Okay, you may do all of these things and they're worthless and there won't be a reward. Or you may be doing some things and they aren't worthless, they are, they are excellent they are the agathos types of things, and those things are things for which you will receive a reward. Another thing, in other words, if everything that has been built of wood, hay, and straw, then it has no eternal value. It'll be burned up, and there's no reward. That's that's the contingency of the whole thing. See, you may be recompensed if there's something to recompense you for. Otherwise, you'll receive your salvation, just as promised. So.
couple of illustrations here. You can copy that down if you want. I didn't put that up soon enough, so I'll leave it just for a second. But a couple of illustrations. So Paul's eighth confidence and final judgment principle. If you want to be confident in judgment, here, and, and this is just obvious. This is something that we, we know, and this is part of the life of the everyday believer. Constantly evaluate what you're doing in relation to clear biblical instruction. Yeah, I've told you before, you know, at my job as, a, as an overseer, as an elder, is to continually force the church to conform to the biblical model. You know that. So churches tend to move away from the biblical model, and, and one of the jobs of those who oversee the church is continually, you know, bring the church back to the biblical model. And your, your job and my job personally is continue to, to bring our lives in alignment with biblical instruction. And how, then, are you spending your time, then, when you understand this? Are you spending it in worthless things? Are you spending it in things that are excellent so don't waste a moment. Don't waste a moment of your life doing things that are outside of God's revealed will for you, okay? And that's not subjective. He said, these things are my will. There's a number of places where it's very clear, this is my will concerning you. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks for what? This is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. It's pretty clear, right? People always want to know, um, what's God's will for my life? Well, there's one, Right? Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's, there's God's will for you. Right? We're very clear, right? Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, first commandment with a promise. May be long, well with you, may live long on the earth. There's God's will for you as a student. You want to know what the blessing is? Live long on the earth. So, again, you choose what you're building with, see? So Deuteronomy 29.9 is a good illustration of this. It says, so keep the words of this covenant, and do them that you may prosper in all that you do. What was the immediate blessing of keeping the words of the covenant? That the Lord can bless your life, right? That's, that's, not, a, that's not a stretch. We understand that's the case. Keep the covenant, do those things, even as his people were being established in the land. Do what I say, and, and I'll bless you. And he continues to say that. That's not, that's not changed. See? First Corinthians chapter 16, verse 14, Let all that you do be done in love. So, there's the will of God for you. As you do something, you want to build with gold and silver and costly stones, do what you do in love. What does love do? Love's a verb, right? Love gives, doesn't hold grudges, doesn't keep account of wrong. I mean, we've looked at all that kind of stuff. So, th- these are very straightforward, aren't they? I mean, as you begin to assimilate this, it's not hard to build with the materials. And you've got the same materials everybody else does, if you're a believer. You and I have the same storehouse. We can take the same type of material out and build with it. Regardless of what your background was. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Whether then you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. How, how do you glorify God? You know this, right? Whatever you do, if God's attributes are, be, are able to be seen through what you do, what are you doing? You're glorifying God. It's not automatic. You may have this ministry you want to do. We want to, we want to glorify God. Well, to the extent that you make God look glorious and people can see God's attributes in the ministry, you have succeeded in glorifying God. If they're only seeing you, or if they're only seeing what you want to do, or if they're seeing something besides the Lord, then it's not glorifying God, no matter how busy you are about it, you see? So Paul just is very clear. He just says, whether then you eat or drink. He's not being specific. He's talking about, as, as you know, because we went through this passage, talking about those who are strong believers, those who are weak believers, and what you allow in your life, maybe a stumbling block for someone else, that kind of thing. But whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, 
just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many so that many may be saved. So here it is. And it's very straightforward, isn't it? I mean, it's constantly evaluating your life and what you're doing based on clear biblical instruction and how you're spending your time. You want to build with gold, silver, and costly stone? Then you got to do that, okay? This is how God translates what you're doing. This is how you can know what to expect, at least up to this point in your life, and what perhaps is sitting on that foundation that you had the responsibility of building on, and you had this huge Lowe's warehouse full of all kinds of cool stuff that God wanted you to use, okay? And you could go there at any time, and it was all available to you, and you could build with whatever you wanted you chose. So at this point now, whatever that is, and that may be wonderful, and I'm sure many, many of you have, it's incredible. Because I don't know what goes on, see? And a lot of ministry that goes on at Berean goes on under the radar. People are helping one another and blessing one another, encouraging one another and providing for the needs. And nobody even knows, see? And many of you serve in, in, in places, and I'm at fault for not recognizing the faithful service over a long period of time, in places that nobody's thinking about. But it can't happen here unless they do it. And those are the types of, of the body of Christ that are uh, nobody sees, right? Remember as we went through that, the body of Christ in First Corinthians? But it's imperative to the work of the body. So the Lord knows what you're doing. His eyes have seen all of that. He knows what you've built so far and what you've used. And you have some basis to judge that. Are you about the work of the master? Have you been spreading the seed? Have the gospel and watering it? That's your primary objective. To the extent that you've been doing that, you've been building with gold, silver, and costly stone. To the extent you've been ignoring that, you've been building with wood, hay, and stubble. You may be very busy, but you're not busy about the right things, okay? And all those other things we looked at, we won't go back over them right now. Next time, Lord willing, we're going to see our last way that God evaluates our conduct to determine the building, the things that we get to use, and we're going to pull all that together and see how this is going to be relevant in the eternal state as the reward is given, okay? And so um, that's where we're headed next week, Lord willing. So uh, be with us if you can. Let's pray. Lord, thank you today for an opportunity to be in the Word. We are very grateful to you for, for the clarity of it, for... Um, how you can encourage us with it and bless us and also take apart, uh, take us apart and take out all the faulty parts and, and then put the right ones in. And Lord, I pray, as, as I often do, that you just strike from the minds of our folks anything that I've said that's detracted from the true meaning of your word and anywhere I stumbled and, and drew attention to something I shouldn't have drawn attention to. Lord, I pray that you forgive me and that your church may grow and they may be equipped for every good work. Father, I pray uh, that you'll help us to be the kinds of believers that turn into the kind of church that builds with uh, the materials that honor you and last. And Lord, whatever we've been building with up till now, and perhaps a mixture of a little of each, I pray that from now on, as is, is within our strength and our, our ability to decide, that we'll choose to put aside um, critical thoughts, uh, things that are hidden, um, backbiting and, uh, and unkind things, and and self, self-promotion that go, occurs in the mind, uh, evaluations between people that you told us not to do, and instead replace them with, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And Lord, um, it's not easy to do, but we ask you to do it. We can't do it in the flesh, certainly. We're not able to do it in our own power, but we ask you to make us more like Jesus as Alex sing and you let us today. If more of you means less of me, then just take everything. And we understand that we did that at, at the cross, that when we came to faith, we said take everything, but Lord, we also understand that um, it's this constant battle, that our flesh has these appetites and we have these, 
these habits that we've had all of our life. And Lord, I pray that you evaluate those things, make it clear to us, help us not to camouflage them anymore, and help us to uh, begin doing things and building with things that will please you and also, also be around for eternity to glorify you. Lord, thank you for those who are downstairs who serve in our nursery and our toddler and our children's church. Thank you for uh, those who came and unlocked early this morning, those who will clean up after fellowship meal today, for uh, those who come and cut grass and, 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 uh, and do the, the hard labor on the outside, for those who, who take care of the, uh, the day-to-day things that have to be taken care of. Lord, we're grateful for them. Thank you for the fact that they do that and they have built... Uh, if they've done it with the right attitude, they have built a marvelous structure that is going to be so wonderful to see. Thank you for the people that we've known in our past who've been that way. We know now they're with you and, and their structure is clear. And uh, you're going to judge all of it after the rapture, but Lord, we know that the structure is clear and, and we will get to see it and we're grateful for the faithfulness. And Lord, I pray that we'll not be those who are embarrassed to stand along with them in our robe of righteousness with nothing to show. And we pray all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. We thank you that you want us to be conformed to the image of your Son. Please do that work by your Holy Spirit each day. And all God's people said, Amen.